Good morning. So our reading this morning is from Hebrews 3, verses 7 to 19. A village of the Bible is central to everything we do. The Bible is God's primary way of speaking to his people, and it shapes everything we believe and everything that we do. The Bible is God's word, his gift to us, the church. And because of this, after I finish reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and we will all respond together. Thanks be to God. So let's hear the Lord speak to us this morning from Hebrews 3, verses 7 to 19. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened in the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion." For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he not swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. Um, if you're new or visiting, we've been working our way through the book of Hebrews. That's just what we do. We're working our way through uh, books of the Bible, and this time we're in Hebrews. And as Judy read for us, we're in the second half of chapter 3. So keep your Bible open, Hebrews chapter 3, start at verse 7, because we're going to be kind of, dip, we're not dipping in and out. We're going to be kind of working our way through that, I hope. And it's helpful for you to just have that on screen as we go through. Um, and like I said before, I think that Hebrews is actually a sermon. I, 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 I think... Uh, the more I read it, the more I'm convinced of that. Um, and I think it's especially clear in today's passage because what this uh, pastor or preacher is doing, um, I'll probably just call him the author, what he's doing is he, he, he uses Scripture to speak into the lives of these people. So here, that big chunk that's in quotes, verses 7 to 11, that's actually Psalm 95. And he's using Scripture to speak into their lives, which is what which is what I try to do with you guys every Sunday. And here he has a particular message from Scripture that he wants to bring out. And it's this, that finishing well is important. Finishing well is important. Perseverance is important. Um, and he has this warning, if we don't persevere, uh, we could find ourselves falling away from God. That's the language he uses, falling away from God. And so um, as we think of this idea of perseverance this morning, there's three things we're going to see. We're going to first look at the importance of perseverance and then how we do that, two parts to that. Uh, we do that through guarding our hearts and we do that in community. Um, so let's look at this. Seven, seven years ago now, it's hard to believe, seven years ago, me and uh, five mates set off to cycle from Belfast to Paris. And it was great. Because we started off well, we have pictures of us all looking, you know, happy and joyful. And then not very long into the journey, you realize uh, that it's going to be harder, much harder than you thought. In fact, we got to about Newry, and uh, we were cycling along, and I, there was a 
guy coming the other way, and I was like, we're cycling to Paris, and he was like, you'll never make it, so that's the kind of encouragement you get from Irish people, um, but we were all in high spirits, and we started off really, really well, but then as the reality starts to kick in, you realize that you have not prepared well enough, you're not fit enough, we had injuries, there's a lot more hills to climb than you might think, um, we got lost a few times, we even managed to cycle through cornfields. And I don't mean just like, you know, on a road between cornfields. I mean literally through cornfields. So that was me relying on GPS rather than common sense. Turn here. Nope, that's actually a field. And so we cycled through cornfields. Um, and the funny thing that happened was the further we cycled, the further away the finish line seemed to get. <laughs> it was just a weird thing. The further we kept going, the further the finish line seemed to get because we just got more tired and all that kind of stuff. And I think that... It can be a bit like this in our Christian lives, in our lives with Jesus. Most of us start out really strong, don't we? We're excited. We love reading the Bible. We, we want to live out our faith. We, we love being with other Christians. We, we, we want to tell our friends about Jesus. But what often happens or what can happen is that after a while, and I'm sure everyone's experienced this, that, that the sheen can start to wear off. It, it, it becomes less exciting. It can even become stale, can't it? Um, how many people do you know that used to be Christians and have, as Hebrews says, have fallen away from God, have walked away? Um, and you just think, well, how did that happen? How, how did it happen that once they were Christians and now they've fallen away? Or and maybe this has even happened to you. It's easy to start well, but it's much harder to finish well, isn't it? And in some ways, this whole book of Hebrews is a warning about the danger of not finishing well. Over and over and over again, he, he, he brings them back to this encouragement to persevere, to keep going, uh, and, and uh, the danger of not finishing well. And it's something that we hardly ever think about because most of the time we're so focused on the everyday, the day-to-day -day of, 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 of living our lives, and even in a good way, even of, God, what are you trying to say to me today? And, and we forget that the, there is a finish line. We forget that there is a point. And Hebrews chapter 3 gives us real insight into why perseverance is important. So let's look at the importance of perseverance, first of all. Last week, when we looked at the, the start of chapter 3, um, we, it did leave in a little bit of a cliffhanger, and I purposely didn't go into it. So if you have your Bible open into Hebrews chapter 3, go back to verse 6 and look at what verse 6 says. It'll be on the screen as well. It says this, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. That's us. If we are Christians, we are God's house. But then he says this, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. If. This is saying that we are part of God's household. We are one of God's people. If indeed we hold fast this confidence and our boasting and our hope. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, that... That doesn't sound quite right, because everything we ever talk about is that, 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 that it's got nothing to do with anything we do. And you're like, well, I thought God's love was unconditional. How can this be to do with something that I have to do if? Is this right? Well, well the same thing is repeated in, in verse 14 that, that Judy read for us. Uh, listen to what verse 14 says. He says, for we have come to share in Christ. That same idea, we're part of God's household. We share in Christ if. Indeed, we hold our original confidence firm to the end. This is saying the same thing, that we belong to Jesus, we share in Christ, if we hold firm our original confidence to the end. 
And that's a pretty big if, isn't it? We don't really like to think this way. Can I lose my salvation? Can I, can I belong to Jesus and then not belong to him? So what's going on here? First thing I want to make clear is that holding on to our confidence and our hope and, and our, hold on to our original confidence firm to the end, this is, this is about our being, not about our becoming. So let me explain what I mean by that. It means that you don't do anything to become part of God's house. It's purely through the work of Jesus and believing on him that you're made part of God's household. It's purely by believing in him that you become a Christian. There's nothing you did. It's completely and only through what God has done for you in Jesus' death and his resurrection that you've become a Christian. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Nothing to do with us. You don't do anything to become a child of God. But it's equally true that that if you are a child of God, if you are a Christian, you do do certain things, right? Think about it this way. This is actually, think in the current climate, this is probably a bad example, but bear with me. If, if, if you, um, like sneezing and coughing and having a sore throat, danger, can't talk about those things anymore. Sneezing and coughing and having a sore throat isn't what gives you a cold, right? But if you have a cold, you will sneeze and cough and have a sore throat. Do you understand what I'm saying here? So in the same way, holding on to our confidence and hope in Jesus doesn't make us part of God's family. It doesn't give us a share in Christ. But at the same time, if we are part of God's family, we will hold on to our bold confidence and our hope and and, and our original confidence to the end. In other words, it's the the ifs of verses 6 and 14. These are the things that prove that we're saved. They prove that we are in Jesus. These are characteristics of people who know Jesus. Hebrews 3 and verse 6 teaches us that if we hold fast our confidence and boast of our hope firm to the end, we show that we are God's household. This is what defines the household of God. God's people hope in God. God's people are confident in God. They hold fast to God. It's it's part of who we are. Same with verse 14. Verse 14 gives us this assurance that we are in Jesus. It says, we have come to share in Christ if we hold our original confidence to the end. So this this future thing, this holding our original confidence to the end, is based on something that has happened in the past. We have come to share in Christ. And so we, we, we hold our confidence to the end. It's not saying hold fast to your assurance in order to become somebody who shares in Christ. The point it's making is, hold fast to your original confidence in order to show that you are someone who shares in Christ. And the problem is, or the hard thing is, that not everyone does this. Not everyone holds on to that confidence to the end. There's a danger that we can fall away, and when that happens, we show that we weren't truly in God's household to begin with. This is what the author is trying to to warn the Hebrews about. And we're going to come back to this in chapter 6. How we can have that certainty that we are one of God's people. But here, the the, the author or the pastor or the preacher or whoever they are, they're trying to show that warn the Hebrews the danger of falling away. You see, these people, the Hebrews, they're they're facing hard times. Their, Their faith is being tested. They're being opposed and persecuted. And some of them are not persevering. Some of them are falling away. And he uses the journey of the Israelites and the Exodus to show um, that there's a danger of falling away, of not finishing the journey. 
Now, I wonder if you have ever thought about what Jesus has done for you and, and your journey to salvation as a second exodus. Now, maybe you don't really know much about the first exodus, and that's okay, we'll get there. But where we need to start is that the Bible, even though it's made up of loads of books written over hundreds of years by loads of different people, it's really just one story. The Bible is one story. It's a story of God's plan to redeem his people and to reclaim them for himself. And each part of the Bible shows us a different aspect of that story. And each part of the Bible points to what Jesus has done through Jesus. And the Exodus, the story of the Exodus that happened 1,300 years before Jesus was even on the earth, was clearly pointing forward to what God would one day do and has now done through Jesus. The people of Israel, uh, you can go back and read this in the book of Exodus, funny enough. Um, the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt. There was about a million and a half people. And the king, the pharaoh, was using the, this, this entire race of people as slaves to build his cities and, and build uh, monuments to him and all that kind of stuff. And so in order to free his people from slavery, God did these incredible miracles in the form of the 10 plagues, which were judgment against the, the, the Egyptians. And the last plague, the most important one, he provided a, a sacrificial lamb, one that was, uh, the Bible says, without blemish or without spot. That means it was completely pure, like a, a pure, white, fluffy lamb. Um, I don't know if the Bible says fluffy. That's what I think of, fluffy. Um, and, and that lamb's blood was spilled. And then the, the blood was painted on the, the door frame of the, the house. And, and this led God then, when, when, when God saw the blood on the house, he passed over that family. That's why they call it Passover. And then Moses led the people out of Egypt. One of my favorite parts is that actually when they were coming out of Egypt, the Egyptians were helping them leave. They were like, go, go take our jewelry, take our stuff, take our food. Like, just go. They wanted rid of them. Um, and Moses led them out into the wilderness. And then they walked through the Red Sea, safely to the other side. Everyone, I'm sure everyone has heard that story where, where God parts the Red Sea and they walk through in dry land. And then their enemies drowned in the water after them. And after that, then Moses led them to the holy mountain of Sinai. And then God gave them the law. Now, that's what we know as the Ten Commandments, but it's much more than a list of rules. Uh, the, the law was, was God's instruction. It was God saying, this is how you should live now that you are my people who have been freed from slavery. And while they were wandering in the wilderness, God gave them food to eat. There was manna, this kind of bread stuff that, that fell from heaven. And he gave them water to drink, water that came out of a rock. And this whole time they were on this journey, God was leading them towards the promised land where they would enter rest. And the really cool thing about this story, and actually this is what we should do when we read all of the Old Testament, the really cool thing about the story is that it was all pointing forward to an even greater exodus, an even more important exodus. Just like I've talked about this before, like this architect's model which, which is a representation, a miniature representation of the finished work that's what this exodus was. It was like a, a representation of the exodus that would come through Jesus. Our exodus out of slavery and towards the rest of the new creation. And so just like Israel was in physical slavery, we were in spiritual slavery. The slavery of our, our sin and death. And just like God worked miraculous signs in the ten plagues, so he performed great miracles in the ministry of Jesus. And just as God provided Israel with a sacrificial lamb so they might be spared physical death... God has provided us with a sacrificial lamb, the Lord Jesus. 
and through his sacrifice and his blood, applied not to our doorposts, but applied to our hearts through faith. We don't face the penalty of sin, which is death. And like the Israelites going through the Red Sea, we go through the water of baptism, which is a sign of our being freed from sin. And through Jesus, God has given us not ten commandments, but he's given us his teaching in the Bible and the New Testament to, to, to know how to live as his freed people. And just as God provided Israel with bread from heaven, we have Jesus himself, who's the bread of life. He doesn't just nourish us for a temporary time, uh, and our physical needs, but, but he nourishes, nourishes us and sustains us eternally. And just as the Israelites drank water that came from a rock, we drink of Christ, like figuratively, drink of Christ, who is the living water. Christ is the manna, Christ is the rock, Christ is the living water. And just as the Israelites journeyed from, uh, journeyed from Egypt towards the land of Canaan, the promised land, and that would be their physical rest, we're on a journey towards eternal spiritual rest, a rest that we have in part now in Jesus, and we'll someday we'll have it completely and fully when Jesus returns, and God will renew the earth, and, and, and we will dwell with him in perfect eternal peace forever. We will be in that rest with him forever. All of that first exodus was pointing towards what God has done for us in Jesus. Isn't that incredible? Like every detail of that story pointing towards what God would do for us through Jesus. We're part of a much bigger story than just our own lives. We're part of a, a story that goes back to the beginning of time, actually goes back beyond the beginning of time. And, and how we read the Old Testament is vital for understanding our story and what God has done for us. And this is what the author of Hebrews is doing here for these people. And so, what has all this got to do with perseverance? He's about to tell us. Because the author of Hebrews uses the Israelites and their story out of Egypt and going through the wilderness as a warning. He said, don't, don't make the same mistakes that they made. You're starting to fall away. You're starting to not persevere. Well, they made the mistake of not persevering too. They made the mistake of giving up. They turned away from God. They didn't keep the faith until they reached the promised land. And, and you see, as we read through the, the story of the Israelites in the Old Testament, there were numerous times when they gave up the faith. So in verses 7 to 11, I said this already, he, he's, uh, the, the author of Hebrews is quoting Psalm 95, and Psalm 95 also talks about this. And it could be talking about any one of these times when the, the Israelites uh, gave up the faith and rebelled against God. But, but one of those occasions is like just happened pretty soon after they left Egypt, just six months. And six months after they had gone through the, the Red Sea, right? They, 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 they've literally walked through a sea and they started complaining. They said, there's no water. Why, why is God leading us out here to die? We want to go back to Egypt. Or another time, uh, in recording in Numbers 13 and 14, really fascinating story. Maybe you know it. So they had got to the border of the promised land, Canaan, and, and Moses, because he's a good and smart and wise leader, he sends in spies to figure out what the land is like, what they'd be up against. And uh, out of the 12 spies that went in, only two of them had anything good to say. Only Joshua and Caleb. They came out and they said, hey, this land is good, it's fruitful. There's milk and there's honey and there's grapes. But the other ten didn't trust God and they only saw the obstacles. They said, we can't do this. We're going to die. 
And, and, and then they actually, when the, the, the rest of the people heard this report, they started complaining again. They actually rebelled. They demanded a new leader. They said, we want rid of Moses. We want somebody that will take us back to Egypt. We'd rather go back to slavery than trust God in the face of a problem. They just, they had, they had, they had, they had experienced all the miracles. They had experienced God's faithfulness up to this point, And still they refused to just to trust them. What has happened is, the language of this passage is, they hardened their hearts against God. And that, that's just an Old Testament way of saying that they openly disobeyed God. It, the Bible uses it a lot. They openly rebelled against God. They, they chose not to believe what God was saying. They chose to trust how they saw things, not what God had promised them. And because of this repeated disobedience and lack of faith, God punished them. God said, hey, listen, because you have repeatedly just refused to believe me, you can't enter the promised land because the promised land is your reward for, 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 for following, following me and trusting me. Because you haven't persevered, you won't finish the journey, is what he's saying. And out of that generation that left Egypt, there was only two, Caleb and Joshua, the two faithful spies that entered the promised land. Out of that generation, the rest of them, the rest of that generation died over the course of 40 years in the wilderness. That's 1.5 million graves in the desert because they refused to obey God. They didn't get to enter the promised land. Use the language of Hebrews 3, they fell away from the living God. They didn't persevere. And this is the warning for the Hebrews. And it's the warning for us. We need to persevere because if we don't persevere, we won't reach the promised land. Because if we're not holding on to our confidence and hope, what are we holding on to? That's the real challenge. Are we really in the household of God? Does God's children hold on to him? God's children confident in him. Those who share in Christ have hope in him. They don't fall away. And then there were people who, who left Egypt and they followed Moses and they did the Passover sacrifice and, and everything like that, but they never got to the promised land. They had heard God's voice. They had, they had seen all that he had done for them. They had walked through a sea on dry land with walls of water on either side. You've probably seen the film, the, the animated movie, Class. Like they, they walked through that and still... They refused, to, they refused to trust him and, and, and they, they fell away from the living God. And we need to take care, guys, that this doesn't happen to us. There are people, probably, pro actually almost definitely, people in our church who, who say they trust and hope in Christ, but who have hardened their hearts. They're no longer interested in reading the Bible. They don't care about hearing God speak. They don't see the point in praying. They, 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 they have no affection for Jesus. And we need to be careful that this isn't us. And I know this is uncomfortable, and I know that it's challenging, but it's meant to be uncomfortable, and it's meant to be challenging. It's, it, 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 it's a warning, and we wouldn't need a warning if there was no danger, right? The only time you see a warning sign is if there's actual danger. And the warning is here because the danger is real. We need to persevere in case we fall away. We need to hold on to our confidence in Jesus so that we can enter the promised land. The question then is, how do we persevere? Well, there are two parts to this, I think, in this passage. Firstly, 
we need to guard our hearts by believing and obeying. Uh, three times in this passage, we're warned of this idea to, uh, to not harden our hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. A hard heart is a heart that refuses to believe God. It's not about not hearing. It's not about not hearing God. It's about people who hear God and then just refuse to believe it, which I have to admit is me a lot of the time. It's about hearing God and understanding what He's saying, but then just willfully discarding it. The Israelites got to the promised land, right? They got right to the edge of it. And then they, they had seen all that God had done for them thus far. They had seen how he miraculously brought them out of Egypt. They had seen coming through the Red Sea, how he's provided food falling from the sky, water coming out of a rock, and still they refused to believe that God could take them into the promised land, refused to believe that his promises were true. They refused to believe what God had said, and, and instead they listened to their own interpretation of events. They blocked out God's word. His promises had come to mean nothing to them. You see, hardening your heart is just simply refusing to believe and disobeying. This is what we see in verses 18 and 19. Listen to what it says. It says, um, and And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. Hardening your heart is just willful disobedience and unbelief. And that means that falling away from God, it's an active thing. It's not passive. It's refusing to believe what God has said and then just disobeying it. Does that sound familiar? It's what we do, isn't it? We come up against a difficult situation and we naturally just tend to reject what God has said, what God has promised. Oh, got a bit bangy on the pulpit there. (laughs) Scared myself a wee bit. We refuse to believe what God has promised and instead we just rely on our own interpretation of events. We see the obstacles and we go, well, there's no, there's, listen, there's no way there. This is impossible. We choose to believe that, that, that the enemies, those obstacles in the promised land can't be defeated and we just want to run back to slavery. And we do that instead of trusting what God has promised. Trusting that promise that he has given us the land. And this is how sin deceives us. Verse 14 talks about, actually, I'll just read it. Verse 14 uh, says, For we have come to share in Christ, if in, uh, nope, I've got the wrong verse. Verse 13, sorry. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. You can be deceived by this. Our hearts are hardened when we are deceived by sin. Let me give you a few examples. Think about the temptation to look at porn, right? When, when you look at porn, you're choosing to believe the lie that that will meet your lack of fulfillment, that that will give you satisfaction. And you're refusing to believe the truth that Jesus has promised true fulfillment and true satisfaction. Or when you gossip, you're believing the lie that gossiping about your brothers and sisters will, will, will fill your need to be liked and appreciated and accepted you're, and, and you're refusing to believe the promise that, that, that God says you are an accepted child, that you are appreciated, that you are accepted. And, you, and you're refusing to believe that the truth that, that those people you're talking about are your brothers and sisters. Or what about when you're up against money problems and you look at your bank account 
And you think, I'm never going to make it to the end of the month. And you start to worry yourself sick. What you're doing is, is you're believing the lie. You're being deceived by the lie that, that the physical and material things in life are the, all that there is, that are all that are important. And you're refusing to believe the truth that God will provide all our needs. And those are just some of the ways that we all harden our hearts. And, and you probably can think of your own examples of how you do this in your own life. We, we, we need to be careful because we're so prone to just trust in our own interpretation of events and not trust in God's promises. When it came to the Israelites, they, they all heard God's word, right? They, 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 they heard God speak on the mountain when he, when he gave the law. They saw Moses came down. I spoke about this last week. Moses came down after speaking with God face to face. They saw him. He was glowing because he had been in the presence of God. They saw all that. They saw how he went through the Red Sea. They experienced this. They knew all the promises. This was real to them. This was not just a story that they had heard. This was real experience, but still they refused to believe. And my warning is, how much more easy is it for us to refuse to believe? And we need to learn from that mistake. We need to hear the word of God and not harden our hearts. Instead of willful disobedience, we need active obedience. Instead of unbelief, we need belief. We need to hear the word of God and believe it and obey it. We need active obedience. And, and listen, church, the promises of God are good and true and reliable. What, what he says, he will do. He can't not do what he says. He's faithful. God cannot lie. He will see you through. Uh, that made me think of, uh, in my mom's house, it's a bit of a joke, but it's actually quite, it's true. It, she has this little uh, picture thing that just says, God will see you through. And for some reason, she hung it above the living room door. So every time you're going out the door, it's like, well, God will see you through the door. Anyway, it's funny. That made me think of that. But what God, it's true. God will see you through. God has given us the land. So whatever lies ahead, whatever difficulties we come up against, whatever temptation we face, God has given us the land and he will see us through. So you don't have to give in to the temptation to not trust him. Just because there are obstacles and opposition in your way doesn't make his promises any less true. In fact, he uses those obstacles and opposition to prove his promises are true. So let's hold on to our original confidence and, and please don't let this wash over you. Don't, don't sit here week after week and not let it affect you. I, one of my prayers, I mean, this whole last year has been that God would soften my heart. Ask God to give you a soft heart. Hear him, believe him, obey him. His promises are good and true. This is how we persevere. This is what people of God's household do. Those who share in Christ, hear his word, then believe his word, then obey his word. And that's what we're called to do. But there's another part to perseverance as well. Not only do we need to guard our hearts and not harden our hearts by hearing and obeying, we also need to do this in community. Listen to verses 12 and 13 again. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The truth is that none of us can do this alone, right? 
We, we weren't me, meant, meant to do it alone. We weren't made to do it alone. God has created us to need each other. He has given us each other. And, and part of this is because it reflects his image that we're made in. But part of it is because it just makes sense, doesn't it? Think about it. When are you more likely to sin? When are you more likely to give in to the temptation to, to uh, not believe God? When you're around other Christians, when you're around your brothers and sisters, or when you're on your own? God's good design for his people is that we would have each other. You can't do this alone. Uh, I, I read this interesting article this week, and I had never known this before, but the word saint is in the New Testament 60 times, and it's always in the plural. Isn't that incredible? It's always plural. Saint is always plural in the Bible. We aren't meant to be lone rangers. We're We're family. And listen, the more you try to go alone, the more likely it is you won't persevere. Trust me. The times in my life when I've been furthest away from God are when I haven't been actively part of a church community. If you're, if you, if you're, if you're kind of passively just part of the church, you're more likely to fall away. And, and honestly, it's, I, I mean, I, I, I have friends and, and they, as soon as they stop being part of the church, that's when they fall away from God. We need each other. And I'm so glad Leanne said what she said when she was calling us to worship this morning. Specifically, in this passage, it says we need to encourage one another. That's what this word exhort means. Exhort one another every day. We need to urge each other to hold firm and keep going. That's what this means, to urge each other, to call each other, to encourage each other. And, and you need to let your brothers and sisters encourage you. And he doesn't just say, do this once a week in a gathering or, or when your missional community meets. He says, do it every day. It's probably because every day is how often <laughs> it's easy for us to fall away. So let, let me challenge us. What would it look like for you to encourage someone every day this week? Starting today, what would it look like for you to encourage someone every single day? Is that something that you're willing to try? I mean, it's a command from God, so probably do more than try, right? Take it seriously. Um, but think about it. I challenge you to find a way to encourage someone in our church family every day this week. And imagine what would happen to us if we had somebody encouraging us every single day. Imagine all the things the Holy Spirit would do. And listen, nobody you encourage today will have had too much encouragement. Let me, I, I guarantee that's not the case. No one you encourage will have had too much encouragement. So just get it done. Send the text, share the verse, phone them, FaceTime them. You can't overshare God's word. And there's nothing more encouragement than God's word. So, so share the word of God. Encourage each other. Pray for each other. Ask how you can be praying. Speak the truth into each other's lives. We need each other. Your brothers and sisters need you to encourage them. That's, a, that's an incredible thing as well. Think about that. When you don't encourage others, you're actually denying them what, what God has, has meant for you to give them. Especially right now, I think, all these restrictions. When things are kind of normal, we can just fall back and rely on the fact that, yeah, we'll see each other at Gallardin, so we get to hang out and, and chat. Or we'll see each other when our missional community meets throughout the week. But we can't just fall back and rely on those things anymore. 
Those things aren't happening, and, and we re- need to be really, really intentional because more than ever, it's, it's easy for us as Christians to be isolated and cut off and, and fall into that thing of just trying to do it on our own. Encourage one another. We need to be intentionally encourage one another. I was encouraged, well, I was encouraged loads of times this week thinking about it, but there were two specific times that stand out in my head, and honestly, both times it just came at the right time when I needed to hear what that person said to me. And actually, both times they were both just texts. Simple as that. And God really used what they said to encourage me to have faith again and, and to keep going. That's my challenge. This week, try and encourage someone every single day. And here's the thing. There's an urgency to this. And I'm nearly finished. There's an urgency to this. This word today appears over and over again in this passage. In verse 13 even that we just read, he says, do this as long as it is called today. Because someday it'll be tomorrow, won't it? It won't always be today. The day when the people of God hear the word of God is always today, right? And so there's an immediacy about this. This isn't something for yesterday and it isn't something for tomorrow. You can't leave it behind and you can't just put it in the back burner. No matter how many times you've heard this in the past or will hear it again in the future, it's always urgent. We need to examine our hearts and our faith today. Uh, What is my confidence in? Who am I hoping in today? Because listen, Saying a prayer with your parents when you were a kid doesn't mean that you are now sharing in Christ. Putting your hand up or, or going down the front at a youth event doesn't mean that you're in God's household. Being baptized even doesn't mean that you're saved. Being part of village doesn't automatically mean that you know Jesus. It doesn't matter what you used to put your hope in. It's about what you're hoping in now. Hoping in now. So what are you holding on to now? Is your confidence in some experience you had years ago or last year or last month or last week or yesterday? Or is it in Jesus, in his promises, now, today? And here's what I want to finish with. Um, When we hear a message like this asking us to persevere and keep going, our tendency is to to go away and want to do more, isn't it? It's like, well, I think it's a human thing, but it's, I think it's a particularly Northern Irish thing as well, that we're just like, right, we're just trying to work harder, work harder, work harder, get it done, strive more, try, you know, try more. I want to work hard at being a better Christian, you know, so that I can persevere. But please, please don't go away with that attitude. You see, persevering isn't um, about what you do, it's about who you're with. The promise here in verse 14 is that if we hold on to our original confidence, we know that we share in Christ. It's because we share in Christ that we hold on to hope. The promise is that we share in Christ. We share in Christ. Now think about that for a minute. We share in Christ. Jesus, Jesus is the better Exodus. Jesus is the better Israelite. Israel. He was faithful when they weren't. Jesus was the sacrificial lamb. He defeated the enemies of God's people. He entered our slavery and broke our chains for us. He crossed the desert. He is the bread of life. He is the living water. And he has entered into the promised land. And I don't want to preach next week's sermon because we'll come back to that next week. But he has entered into that final rest. And we will too. 
There's nothing left for us to do. Jesus has done it all. And all we have to do is to continue to trust in him, to rest in him, to rely on him, to abide with him, to to put our confidence in him. This isn't about going away striving to become a better Christian. It's about being with Jesus. Put your hope in him. Hold our original confidence firm in Jesus. God will see you through. And so here's the thing. If we truly share in Jesus, we will persevere. So let's not harden our hearts. Let's just hear him like we're doing right now. Like you'll do as you encourage each other this week, no doubt. Or when you meet with with your core or whatever that looks like for you right now with missional community and stuff. Hear him and then believe him and obey him. And let's do it together. And then one day, here's the, the class thing, one day, really soon, one day Jesus will return and he will call us home. Finally, we will be home. It's like we're on the border of the promised land and then on that day we will enter the promised land. And all the things that we're up against, all the things that would, we, would cause us to want to refuse to believe him and trust in our own interpretation, all the pain we feel, all the guilt we carry, all the shame we have, all the unfulfillment we live with, all that will be washed away. And all that will be left will just be pure rest and pure joy. Rest with him, rest in him, in God's presence, in perfect life. So let's persevere and let's hold on to Jesus and he will never let us go. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that um, you are the better Exodus, that you were faithful in a way that uh, Israel could never be. You were faithful in a way that we could never be. And just like Israel, if we rely on our own strength, we won't make it to the promised land. Uh, So Lord, teach us just to rest in you. Uh, Like Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Uh, Father, we pray that um, anyone who's struggling, anyone who's who's finding that hard, anyone who is maybe just um, not willing to be part of your family, not willing to commit to the community, not willing to uh, really encourage or be encouraged, Lord, we pray that you would bring them back to yourselves. Lord, Let us be an encouraging people. Let us be an encouraging family. Help us to just speak the word of God to each other this week, every day. Uh, Lord, while it is still today, while we still have time to do this. Father, we love you and we need your guidance. We need you leading us. You're the only way that we'll make it to the end. So we trust you, Lord. We want to live with you. We want to abide with you. We want to rely on you. Give us the strength to do that this morning and throughout the week, Lord. So hard right now. We feel lonely. We feel isolated. We don't get to see our brothers and sisters. Um, it feels like we're just solo pilgrims sometimes on this journey, but we're not. We're part of your body. Help us to act like it, Lord. Help us to trust you and know that your promises are good. Pray these things for the glory of Jesus. Amen.